This is Never Cruel or Cowardly, a fan cast with Matt and Leon. Leon's going to read something about The Doctor, written by the mighty Terence Dix. Over to you, Leon. He is impulsive, idealistic, ready to risk his life for a worthy cause. He hates tyranny and oppression, and anything that is anti-life. He never gives in, and he never gives up, however overwhelmingly odds against him. Doctor Who believes in good and fights evil. Though often caught up in violent situations, he's a man of peace. He's never cruel or cowardly. So that explains, or gives an insight into the podcast title and the square we're trying to circle, which is that we want to do critical commentary about the show we love, but we want to never be cruel or cowardly. We want to find a way of critiquing that doesn't involve putting people down or name-calling or any of that stuff. Is it possible? Only time will tell, as it so often does. So, Leon, which episodes are we discussing today on the 6th of December 2015? So, the season, season 9, is it, has just finished, and it kind of finished with a three-parter, almost, you could call it, couldn't you? Uh, so, that's Face the Raven, Heaven Sent, and Hell Bent. So, I thought, why not start with the first part of that three-parter and Face the Raven? Which, something I was going to ask you about, Matt, the Doctor Who magazine states in its, in its preview that there is a huge shock coming at some point in this episode, something absolutely massive. What do you think they could have been talking about? Yeah, well, that's a weird one, isn't it? Because I, I can't remember how I found out that this was the one where Clara was supposed to be leaving, ostensibly. So it must have been all over the media. For me to realise. It kind of crept up on me and I don't remember being surprised when she died in it. Did you know then that something was going to happen? I think so, because I might have read that line in the preview that said something major was going to happen. And also, didn't Peter Capaldi mention something on the Graham Norton show the the night before? Oh, I think you might be right there. And he he effectively said, you know, this is a big one for Clara. Mm. And this is the end of the road. Which, funnily enough, now you look at it, was kind of an outright lie, wasn't it? Yes. Or was it an outright lie? Or was it him finessing things? Was it him performing? Well, if you think about that Doctor Who now has become a bit more than just the show itself and there's a whole kind of meta-narrative around it. And that, right. that if you think of Capaldi's appearance on talk shows as being part of the whole story, and right. sort of that sense of theatre, if you like, that if he hadn't have said that the night before, maybe people wouldn't have tuned in and maybe... It's it's like, um, if you remember Rose's last episode, um, back in the day, where yeah. it actually opens with, um, my name is Rose Tyler and this is the night I die or something. Mm. So you know it's coming, and I think, if you think of Capaldi's appearances as part of that theatre, then everybody knows it's coming, and... You almost waited with bated breath for, okay, when is she going to go? What is going to happen? Is she, are we being conned? As will she actually save herself at the end or not? Actually, it's funny, isn't it? Now you think, now you sort of mention some of those points. We live in such a performative culture. You know, everyone's got a Twitter account. Everyone's on social media. I say everyone, but a lot of people. And people are performing themselves all the time. So I've I've just referred to that you know, 
in quite a negative way, in a cruel and cowardly way, as an outright lie. But who's to say, you know, Capaldi's performing Capaldi at that point. Capaldi's performing Capaldi the actor. Yes. So it's it's in no way himself, is it? It's not a fly on the wall. Graham Norton is not a fly on the wall documentary. So it would be no. interesting to know how much that was a conscious choice. And how much, how much, whether, what his motivation was for saying that, whether he was just in a position where he had to say something and he, he's kind of not going to say, oh, well, she ostensibly leaves tomorrow, but she's in the last episode. He's not going to spoil the story in that way. So does he add, potentially add to the story for the casual viewer? Maybe. Where they're yeah. like, they've maybe seen Graham Norton and they're like, wow, it really is the end of the road. And that, in a funny way, for the casual viewer, adds to the story. That's exactly because... what I was thinking, yes. So, it's, so maybe maybe it's all part and part. I mean, the media circus that they do to promote the show is certainly part of it. And if that can only add to, to the, the unfolding story of Doctor then that can only be a good thing, surely. I mean, but it, it sort of deadened... It didn't deaden my enjoyment of it. I think, funnily enough, I think of the three, Face a Raven was the one I enjoyed least. But I can see why that, why people would be surprised by that. Why? Because I can very much see why people would see Hellbent as a car crash. So, so in terms of Face the Raven, so we've, we've talked about what is effectively the last five minutes of the show. What do yeah. you think of the rest of it? I was kind of disappointed with the, the the trap street idea went so quickly, that they found the street so quickly. I'm wondering if villainous plans are kind of past their sell-by date. You know, I'll tell you what I found to be a major sort of plot hole. And for me, for me, a plot hole is not something you notice. I have this little rule. If you notice something after a show and you enjoy the show, yeah. it's not a plot hole. Okay. The, per- the people who constructed the show were clever enough to keep you from spotting that problem during the show by keeping you excited. So it's kind of like magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah? yeah? It's kind of like a trick. So, for example, I can't complain about the fact that Jaws doesn't actually bear close examination because I didn't notice that the first 50 times I watched <laughs> it. But I have now noticed that it does not bear close examination for right. various reasons. But I did think during Face the Raven, if you're going to try and entrap the Doctor, and you're going to try and entrap them by putting an investigation in their way, well, why didn't they go after Clara rather than Rigsy? Why did they put that degree of separation there? Good question. (laughs) Especially since the Doctor seemed to almost not investigate it. Yeah. And I sometimes wonder if maybe what is really lacking i would really like to know about the relationship between the script edit in terms of the script editing process because for me that's sort of maybe what is lacking so what we don't know is how this was actually pitched Mm. so and i can't even remember the lady that wrote it it was uh sarah dollar that was it um do you think that she was actually asked right I've got this idea, I want this trap for the Doctor and it's going to lead to the death of Clara. Or did she come up with the sort of trap street, sort of that Harry Potter type street idea with the, um, with the what's it, the uh, refugee camp inside it? Did she come with that and then the Clara stuff was bolted on the end of it? And would that make a difference? 
I have no idea. But it certainly, certainly, it feels like it feels like when you watch them, quite often the less successful ones, the elements have been put into them, or they can't sustain the elements. I mean, this is the thing I was saying to you when we were talking earlier before we started recording this. When I was saying the thing about Hellbent is, it feels like there was enough for a whole season. You know, it was so rammed full of ideas. That's interesting yeah. because. When I was thinking back to Face the Raven earlier mm-hmm. today, is I don't think there's much in there beyond right. being what I would call maybe a, a Doctor Who annual story. Right. You know, it's quite a nice idea that you've got this street where all the refugees from the Doctor's various battles uh, on Earth have ended up. But that's about it. Nothing else really happens. There's a bit of a murder mystery to give it a hook. Mm-hmm. But there doesn't seem to be any sense of peril or any kind of reversals of plot during it. It was quite linear in that respect until the final five minutes when they kill the companion off. Mm. And I, I, that was quite inter- It almost felt like, uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for? A vignette rather than an actual story. And this is what you're saying, it's like a Doctor Annual piece or a comic strip. Or... Yeah, or a short story that, he, that, that, that the big finishes churn out. Or Do you know what I mean? It, it's... What did you think of the uh, the whole refugee thing? Well, it was blinking, you miss it. <laughs> it was like, okay, it's a refugee street. Oh, we've got to deal with this murder mystery. Oh, you know, they it did certainly to that extent feel like two ideas had collided mm. to the detriment of both. But, you know, it seems to have gone down well. This is the thing. It seems to have gone down very well. These last three episodes of, of uh, well, the last one has split people a little bit, but the, certainly the, the the episodes ten and eleven, yeah, uh, have been very very highly thought of, and surprisingly so in my humble opinion. But not I mean, anything particularly well, bad about them, but but not the masterpieces that a lot of people are, uh, are claiming them to be. But what I'm a little bit worried about is I was thinking recently. I don't want to become one of those. Doctor Who fans are like, I was thinking recently that um, I know someone who is kind of a good analogy for Doctor Who fandom. And uh, it's someone who hates Christmas. Right. But, but they, they, um, they, come to all the, they come to all the parties and they eat all the food. Right. And they drink all the drink and they stay and they talk about how they hate Christmas. And I thought, that's a pretty good analogy for Doctor Who fandom. <laughs> and I know, I don't want to be one of those people who kind of seems to hate the thing they're supposed to love, you know? Mm. But at the same time, you also want to have a critical faculty. I mean, maybe the expectations are too high. Oh, there is always that. And yeah. um, as, as I've been saying to people recently, there's been a hell of a lot of good drama on, on television recently. I don't think there's been any of have you not, have you not been watching watch Doctor Who? What should I be watching? I've been watching The Detectorist, which is not a drama, but it's beautiful. Have you seen that? Yes, that's the BBC4 comedy show. With, yeah, it's uh, absolutely Mackenzie amazing. Cook, yeah. Toby Jones for The Doctor. He's incredible. <laughs> but anyway, um, so, yeah, I should also say, I think overall, this season has been one of the strongest. I didn't mm. like the first. I wasn't that keen on the Dalek stories. But then after that, I felt it really took off. But yeah, I think Face the Raven, for me, it was an unfortunate collision of lots of different parts. Mm. And just like that Trap Street idea, you thought they could have got a whole a whole episode out of that. 
Yeah, um, that's what I mean. I, I wonder if I mean, I've always thought this though a little bit that, that there's only so much you can cram into 45 minutes, even at yeah. the rate of storytelling that Doctor Who does, and maybe maybe an extra little bit would have helped you breathe a bit more. But let's talk about Hell Ben. We're being timey wimey. We've gone for Hell Ben second. Why were you underwhelmed? It kind of started off really interesting, and I thought, oh, he's coming up to Gallifrey, he's going to be... I was expecting a lot more conversations between him and um, the resurrected uh, Rassilon, as he's referring to himself as now. Right. And instead it became what I thought of at a wander around um, the old Longley Blackpool Doctor exhibitions. <laughs> and some quite stunning stuff uh, between Capaldi and, and Jenna Coleman. Was it... Was it stunning because of the script or stunning because of their performance? I think their performance more than anything. I, 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 I struggle to get a handle on their relationship. Right. Uh, part of me certainly sees Clara as kind of a, a carer stroke mother figure to it. And I well, think Capaldi really plays up to that. And I think the really emotional parts of it, um, where you get some close-ups of Capaldi, who's just playing it like this lost little boy that's about to lose the only person that can look after him. He's quite tragic and heartbreaking. And and I maybe I just wasn't prepared for that as a kind of end-of-season sort of blowout that we're kind of used to now. Do you think they're kind of hampered a bit by their own tropes? You know, the Doctor is the oncoming storm, these really intense relationships with companions. I think they always have been, and I think I think the intensity of the relationships that have been there since the show came back actually makes writing the companion out really difficult. Right. I mean, it goes back to writing Susan out in the original series, doesn't it? It's, it, it? it's how does the Doctor actually get rid of his granddaughter? You know, it's and you could almost argue that the the, the, the companions he's had since uh, two thousand and five have been quite similar. They've been very intense relationships, and Particularly as he seems to be able to hop in and out of their lives a lot more now. You actually ask yourself, mm-hmm. well, why, would, why should anyone leave? And why would mm-hmm. they have to leave? Well, that's interesting. That might be an idea. I mean, why does there have to be one companion? Why couldn't there be an ensemble? Why couldn't, why couldn't actors get signed up for a few episodes a year? Which is... You might have different mixes of companions. So you kind of get like a lot of River Song kind of characters... You look at you look at the end of Russell T Davis's run and mm. that, that quite gorgeous scene that a lot of people thought was incredibly cheesy at the time of basically every companion that's been in the show since it came back sat around the TARDIS driving it. You know, it's like people could come in and out at that point. And he's made it doubly difficult with Clara because Clara's had this day job as a school teacher that he keeps popping in and sort of saying, "Yeah, let's go off on an adventure now." Then, and so there is no reason for her ever to leave unless he kills her off or does this quite interesting thing of actually giving Clara the option to actually go off on, into her own narrative and become Iris Wild Time if, if, if I've got anything to do with it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Mm, let's not go there. So, <laughs> so I... <laughs> never be cruel or cowardly. Um, but I think it diminishes the Doctor that he can't just say, no, we're going to have to stop. You know, I'll do birthdays and Christmases. <laughs> but, or whatever, but... Look, you are putting yourself in the way of danger too much. But this was the problem with Sarah Jane as well, wasn't it? I mean, where I mean, the ending of Sarah Jane's story originally was, oh, I can't take people to Gallifrey. I'm just going to leave you here, bye bye. 
and and then years and years later she comes back and said well where were you <laughs> yeah true true when it comes to leaving it's always been a problem and joe grant you can kind of understand why she left because you know she met mm-hmm. someone and decided that her life with the doctor didn't need to carry on and she could do something because people move on in life and i think ian and barbara are very similar it's like they had the opportunity to return to earth in the 60s with the dalek time travel thing and, and got back um so that kind of makes sense people move on and people want to settle down and mm-hmm. um and then you look at the the new series and kind of martha moved on as well she got the job in union we've just had quite a long conversation about one one element of the series finale yes well, true, it's a big element, it's Clara. But um, even so, do you yeah. think her leaving has got in the way of the drama? Do you know what? I think the last three episodes have all been about her leaving, mm. looking back at it. And I wonder if there's been, uh, is there anything else in those stories? And I have to wonder if there is. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm. But... Yeah, there doesn't seem to be a lot else. What did you think about the representation of Gallifrey apart from uh, Longleat? It felt a bit, it felt a bit Star Warsy to me. Yeah, I did. I, well, I got that last week when you saw the trailer, and I thought, oh, is, is it because the Force Awakens is coming? And they're trying to cash <laughs> in on that. I mean, some people have suggested there's a problem in that Gallifrey is represented as exactly the sort of regime that the Doctor would topple. Yes. So why hasn't he toppled it? I thought aesthetically it was gorgeous. Well, I must. I mean, um, the the extraction chamber and stuff like that. Oh, it looks stunning! You, could, you, you know, the the money they spent on that CGI was just incredible, and it was it was it was stunningly looking that city. And I, in the Hartnell, well, it's not Hartnell's, but the Hartnell TARDIS. You know what I mean? Yes. The Hartnell console room just made me. I kind of had this little fantasy that he was just going to F off with the Hartnell TARDIS room. I was quite happy. You know, it was going to be his new TARDIS because it looked so good. What Uh, what do you think of the uh, central twist or a possible twist that it's the Doctor who's got the memory loss? Or if he hasn't got the memory loss. Well, that was not something I really picked up on, but other people have. Yeah, there's been a lot of conversation whether he's actually... I, I think it makes sense, I think. I just thought it was a plot hole. No, I think he has to. I think. Just thought, how can the doctor fail to work out that that woman is in some way involved with Clara when the diner disappears around? Which, around which, which I think actually um, gives a lot more credit to this suspicion that he knew what was going on all along. And that right. what he's had to do is have to let Clara go. And that's the only way he could do it for her own well being. Well, then why is she having this portentous conversation with him in the first place? Because uh, it's... now I'm not being cruel or cowardly. <laughs> right, OK. <laughs> right, we'll talk about something else. And you think of a positive way to say what you were going to say. <laughs> and then we'll go to hell, Ben. So, Matt, um, you're seeing a, a bit of a divide. Stuns. Go on. You, you're, you're you know seeing... about it. You were there in the 90s. Yes, so in, 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 so tell us about the, uh, the, the divide in uh, Doctor Who fandom in the 90s about storytelling styles. No, well, no, well was, it was Fox versus Guns, wasn't it? He had on one side, Guns was like supposedly getting dark and dark, things like 
Was it Transit, the new adventure that had swearing and sex in going dark? I think it was Gareth Roberts who said in a letter to someone, he says, he wrote in a letter to someone, he said, we need more frocks and less guns. Mm. And frocks was interpreted as a more emotional, softer, more fun stuff, although it could be quite serious stuff like human nature. I think Cornell was quite cheeky in human nature because I'm sure there's a line in there where Bernice says this adventure calls for a serious frock. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right, actually, yeah. But I wonder if the new divide is kind of between narrative coherence and a, a, a not even a lack of narrative coherence, but a, a rejection of it. Phil Sandifer on his blog and in his writing has this idea of narrative collapse where the rules of the narrative implode and he applies it a lot in Doctor Who. And I, I wonder if one of the reasons he's so into Moffat is it because it feels as though Moffat just goes, Doctor Who, the universe can be rebooted, death doesn't matter, anything can happen. So in those circumstances, in place of a completely coherent narrative, what I'll have is an assemblage of interesting things. Because it seems like a lot of the people who are writing positively about Hellbent are putting an awful lot of headcanon into their writing. I.e. they're going, well... This bit wasn't explained on screen, but I think that's easy to explain. You just say this, and this bit wasn't explained. And, and there's a lot of ambiguity in there, the whole thing about the memory. Well, they, they, say, um, they say this about art, don't they? I mean, a lot of, of good art depends on how much you put in. And I think it, it, if Moffat's intentionally writing it with this sense of ambiguity, then the more you work at it, the more you get out of it. And Doctor Who's always been highlighted as one of those shows that really drives viewers to be more creative. And I think that's part of the reason you've got so many people in the industry now that grew up as Doctor Who fans. And uh, the fact that you've got things like Big Finish and um, all the fan fiction that's out there and things, it, it, it kind of is something that seems to really spark the imagination. I mean, you, you could actually describe last night that what it did was it set up Star Wars. Then it, you know, it had about 10 minutes or whatever of a space western. Mm-hmm. And then it went, ha ha, we're not doing a space western. We're I mean, doing a little, we're doing a little bit of a... Um, character piece, really. About... Character piece, yeah. Between, with, with the odd bit of drama as journalism. Because yeah. you, could, you could say that regeneration was... Doctor Who journalism, a fanzine piece as drama. Yes, the, you know, why, why can't a uh, time will change? To the time lady. Yeah. It, it feels like a lot of the a lot of the things were cool set pieces. You know, Capaldi in the Hartnell console room. I must I must admit that on initial watching I was a bit yeah, okay, that filled an hour. I didn't get that broad during it. But I've I've come around a lot more the more I've read about it, the more I've thought about it, that there was a lot more in there. Like you say, that it, it's lots of little bits you spiral out from. You know, I was complaining to you a little while ago about sort of one of the things about Face the Raven that was, well, why can't she have a happy ending? What's the problem with happy endings? Well, she's got a happy ending, hasn't There you go. She? He must have heard you and completely rewrote the end of Hell uh, <laughs> Bend. <laughs> Well, yeah, but you know what I mean. He, no, absolutely. He's subverting my sort of response to the show as a viewer. And so that must have happened with other people who weren't happy that Clara got that ending, and then they were like, oh, she's, she gets a different ending. And to take it back to what we were saying about Capaldi's appearance on the Graham Norton show the night before Face the Raven, that adds mm-hmm. into the whole thing that, that you feel, because of the narrative around the show, that this is actually Jenna's last episode. That, yeah. Uh, have a comeback, and bear in mind as well, you've got all that idea of the splinter clarets 
around his time stream. You know, that, that woman in the diner could easily have been a Clara Splinter. You don't know that it's actually Clara until the end. Looking back on it, it is a, it's just a lovely ending. It's, mm. I think someone referred to on Twitter as, as a Thelma and Louise in space. And... Yeah. Should we have a go at Heaven Sent? Okay, so Heaven Sent, um, episode 11 of Doctor Who. Stephen Moffat in Doctor Who magazine referred to this as the episode that pushes Doctor Who to the brink of madness. Did it? Um, well, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it in the same way I enjoyed Sleep No More, as a fairly good episode of The Twilight Zone. Well, what did you think of the plot itself? Because to me, Heaven Sent um, felt like watching someone play Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> I, I mean, it was one of those where I felt like, after I watched it, I, I probably could have sat down and written a blog and come, come up with convincing reasons as to why it was awful and ripped it apart. But it kind of goes back to my thing I'm, I was saying about if you spot something after the show finishes, I, I cry foul. And all I can say is for that, for the time it was on, I found it compelling. I think it's interesting in that they're doing these really quite experimental pieces of television in this day and age, on a Saturday night, and in the, this multi-channel uh, society that we're living in now. And this has never been done really since uh, the golden days of uh, Play for Today and things. This is Sorry, my point in terms of this comparison of Doctor Who fandom, or some sections of Doctor Who fandom, with the person who doesn't like Christmas. We're, we're now at a point where it's been on 10 years ago, and that's the second bite of the cherry. And that's longer than most other TV series get full stop. And I don't think there's any dispute that the people who are involved are very good at making television. I think they happen to have a core audience who are media literate, partially because they've spent, speaking for myself, I've spent too much time watching DVD extras and reading articles about how this stuff is made. And also give it maybe a level of analysis which is ridiculous. But it's like I said about, well particularly, it was about Hal Ben, but this one as well. I seem to have a lot more appreciation for the episodes after reading and discussing with other people, you know, it's, 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 it's so much more than just that, sit, sitting down and watching an entertaining piece of television. For me, it was kind of a showcase for Capaldi, whether intentional or not. And also, in, in another way, it could be argued as a showcase for the mechanisms of power, the engine that is Doctor at the moment. So Murray Gold's score, the effects. I mean, I, I feel like I haven't said anything about the episode itself. I feel like I've skirted around it. It's, it's well written. It's within Moffat's wheelhouse. He, he's, in a funny way, he's in his comfort zone. Yeah. You know, all the themes of the recurrence and the repetition and all of that kind of stuff and the weirdness of it. And he knows that he's got an actor in Capaldi that, um, <laughs> that can actually hold the whole episode together. But, but I suppose the big question, does it have any meaning beyond the spectacle? Because I suppose what I'm grappling with is, did I take anything from it apart from enjoying the craft? Now that's interesting. Those lovely moments. Did I, did I actually... Because I suppose Face a Raven, what, what you could take from Face a Raven is there's something strong there potentially about negotiating someone's death with them. 
because it's not a death that suddenly happened and it's not a death that it might happen and you're busy racing to try and stop. I think someone online compared it, it might have been Paul Cornell Mm -hmm. that said something about terminal illness. Yes. So it's a a death that you have to all negotiate together. Now, obviously, for the purposes of drama in a very truncated space of time. But is, is there something similar that I took away from Heaven Sent? But yeah, now I think you're right. There's not there's the problem with this ep- that episode. There's not a lot really to say about it. Yeah. Apart from that, it was a bit of tour de force for for, for Capaldi. I mean, I enjoyed it. It does okay. show. It, it shows the Doctor's perseverance mm-hmm. solved problem. Mm. So, I do have one uh, question about it. Do you think each iteration of Doctor Who knew what was going on? Do you well, think he uh, he remembers all four and a half billion? times he did it no 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 because he I, I think he remembers the last one mm. the guy who got out remembers the last one which kind of destroys that emotional beating um not necessarily because he worked it out so he has the intellectual knowledge right and in fact in fact you could in fact you could say in a funny way it's worse isn't it because mm. you're starting afresh aren't you and at least, at least, if you were doing it again and again, you might have some sense that you might get out of it. But eventually, by the laws of probability, you must get out of it. So you might become desensitised to it, and you would think you would think that the doctor, if the doctor was aware every time, the doctor's so so sort of um, he's got such a sharp mind that he'd be able to. Oh, he did go to his mind place, didn't he? He went to the TARDIS. Yes, and it did look like he was learning as he went and dropping yeah. theories for himself. Okay, thank you for listening. That was Leon and Matt with Never Cruel or Cowardly. We hope to see you again soon.